I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to episode 221 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And to kick things off this week, I would like to say thanks to some of our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Fiona Rie, Amanda Dean, Jennifer Rodriguez, Carrie Wells, Helen Davis, Matty, Cindy Pressy, Matthew Rayner, and Kevin Diaz. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I love you and appreciate you every single day. And we have a promo this week. Our promo this week is for the wonderful The Ghost Gig. Now, I mention The Ghost Gig regularly on this podcast, specifically Alice from The Ghost Gig regularly on this podcast. And I have played their promo before, but guess what? They have a new promo. And Alice is a friend of mine and she is very, very wonderful. So she messaged me and said, can you play our new promo? And I was like, absolutely. I recently went to see Alice's band, like before Christmas at some point. Oh my God, they were so good. Just as an FYI, they were so good. So the Ghost Gig is hosted by Alice and Vince and they bring you a fortnightly paramusical podcast, bringing you unique tunes and maybe the heebie-jeebies. It's a total scream. So basically, they will watch a horror film and write a song based on this horror film. And it's a joy. It's a dream. I'm going to play the promo now. Make sure that if you like the sound of it, you go and listen to them and subscribe to them and follow them wherever you get your podcasts. Here is their promo and I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to The Ghost Gig. I'm Alice. Hi and I'm Vince. We are two musicians with a slightly unhealthy obsession with horror. So we did what any sane person would do and put the two together and made a podcast. Yeah, which means that basically we write songs about horror films. And you lucky people get to hear them. They can sound a bit like this. Next thing you know you're giving a cat corpse as a gift so. Yeah, or like this. There's magic and there's falling maggots. mostly or sometimes like this. Kenya Ma is not herself. She's been dancing round like she's the devil's whore. And once we've made one that sounded a bit like this. Having a crisis of identity. We also delve into some well-known spooky songs. Yeah, well, at least ones that we think we can get away with anyway. Oh, without being sued for covering. Yeah. Yeah. You might even recognise one or two. Them bones, them bones gonna walk around Them bones, them bones gonna walk around And then to round it all out, we tell a good old-fashioned ghost story. I mean, why would we not? So, if you fancy some spooky musical banter... Yep, interjected with some slightly questionable accents... All right, calm down. You can find us wherever you tend to seek out your podcasts. Pause this podcast right now and come and give the ghost gig a follow. We'll be waiting. So all there is left to say now is... 
ghost gig. Are you sitting comfortably? Then let's begin. Can I just also say that I, I did that preamble like I hate Vince. I was like, Alice is my friend, but Vince isn't. That's not true at all. Unless there's some reason that I should hate him or he hates me. I don't know. But Vince is also a very lovely person. So go and listen to the ghost gig. Thank you. Which brings me to our film review this week. Our film review is The Lodge. The Lodge was released in 2019. It has 6 out of 10 on IMDb and 74% on Rotten Tomatoes. During a family retreat to a remote winter cabin over the holidays, the father is forced to abruptly depart for work, leaving his two children in the care of his new girlfriend, Grace. Isolated and alone, a blizzard traps them inside the lodge as terrifying events summon spectres from Grace's dark past. I didn't really know what to watch for the film review this week, so I was sort of on Netflix just skimming around and then it suggested this. So I said, fine, you know what, let's go for it. And I was pleasantly surprised. Let's start with the likes. There was really strong performances from all involved in this film. You guys know how I feel about child actors. Get a good child actor or don't bother. Like films waste all this money on CGI. Use your CGI budget to make fake children if the child actors are not going to be good. Anyway, not the case in this film. The, both both child actors were very good and very believable. And the performances from all characters involved were good given what they had to work with because there's more on that later and those kids they had to perform like the whole the whole spectrum of emotions at various points in this film and I felt like they did really well and the setup for the story is brilliant so what I'm about to tell you isn't a spoiler this is one of those films that is very hard to talk about without giving away spoilers but this isn't a spoiler you learn about in the very beginning it is not new news it's also in some of the synopses of this film Early on in the film, you find out that the kids' parents are divorced and their dad is seeing a new girlfriend called Grace and the kids' mum takes her own life and the kids blame their dad and Grace for this, right? And that's I that's totally understandable. Just to put that out there, that is totally understandable. That does not make them bad children. It is an understandable leap to make. They're trying to find, figure out reasons as to why this might have happened and they're upset with their dad and his new girlfriend. I get it. The kids are also really, really Catholic and they believe that their mum now can't go to heaven, which isn't, it, it's not something that's like really forced down your throat, but it is something that the kids mention. But the thing is, right, you find out that Grace, this this woman, their dad's new girlfriend, is the only survivor of this hideous suicide cult. So her dad was the leader of this cult. She is the only survivor. And the dad seems to be like a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And Grace is one of his patients. And then they get together. The kids hate her. Right. And I can totally see why. I can understand why they would. It's not fair on Grace, but they do hate her. And she is trying to make it work. She is trying to make those kids like her. She's trying to be nice to them. She is trying to not be the evil stepmother. You know, the usual And this is, like I said, one of those films that I can sort of say very little about because it will prime people who haven't seen it to expect certain aspects of the film. But I really did feel like the whole way through it kept you guessing. You know, I was both against the characters at various points. I was deeply rooting for all characters at various points at different times in the film. And I I respect that. I appreciate that. And it's definitely a film that is more of a psychological horror. So there's no sort of CGI. There's no jump scares. 
which in my opinion can only be a good thing and it's sort of a slow burn it's psychological you're trying to figure out all of these characters the setting itself was brilliant so they're in this lodge in the extreme snow it's cold and chilling both like in the literal and the figurative sense it kind of gave a lot of the shining vibes you know where almost the venue the setting becomes a character in itself and I realized after I watched this film that it is by the same people who did Goodnight Mommy. If you remember that film, it's about the two little boys and they believe their mother has been taken over by a monster. She's just had some plastic surgery. So if you enjoyed that film, this film I think will be right up your street. Which brings me to the dislikes. Now, admittedly, the dislikes are a little bit nitpicky because fundamentally this was a good movie. It was strong. But to start, I think the character of Grace was so interesting or at least she could have been so interesting but there was something missing I feel like she wasn't that well-rounded like I wanted to know more about her and who she is now and how she got there and I I think this lack of knowing like I understand it probably gave an ambiguity to reflect what the children were feeling but I also think that it took away from her character somewhat you know she generally didn't really express how she was feeling about certain situations and I, I wanted to know. I wanted to know more about her. You know, she had survived this terrible thing and then ended up in a relationship with her psychiatrist and suddenly become a stepmother to two children. That's a lot to take on. The second thing on my dislike column is sort of not necessarily a dislike, but I do think it's something to note that this film is a slow burn. If you want a horror that is going to be terror from the off, this is not it. It's not it. So it's much more of a slow burn and much more psychological and it was reminiscent for me of films like obviously Goodnight Mommy because it was the same creators but also psychological films like The Wind and I'm about to say something that is going to be really annoying for a film review because I like I said do not want to give any spoilers or give any priming as to what happens in this film but there are elements of this story that irked me right and as I always say with horror it is important to suspend your disbelief to some degree But if your character is horror driven, then I need to believe that these characters are capable of doing what they seem to be doing. I'm not going to say any more than that because I don't want to risk giving anything away. But there was a point where I was like, there's absolutely no way this person will be doing this in these circumstances. There just isn't. And also, my final point. There are horror movie dad moments in this film that are so frustrating to watch. We are watching a horror film about a dad who was a trained psychologist or psychiatrist, I can't remember which. And he is making what seem to be terrible decisions for his children. And I I was watching it going, you're a dick. You're a dick. Think about what you're doing to your children, please. Thank you. You absolute annoyance. But all in all, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I think it's worth a watch. If you like a slow burn, if you like a psychological horror, get into it. For me, I'm going to go all out and I'm going to give The Lodge four stars. Four out of five. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we get to our story this week, I need to make a small announcement. So there will be no podcast episodes, possibly for the next two weeks. The reason that there is no podcast episodes is because I'm changing host provider and therefore I'm changing ad provider. So as you guys may have noticed, some of you might have heard, some of you might have just noticed yourself. I've been having a lot of issues with advertising on the podcast lately. Both the quantity and the quality of the advertising have not made me happy and I have not been able to find a positive resolution to that within the company that I was working with. So As a result, I decided to change my podcast provider in order to try and alleviate some of these issues. But that does mean that there's going to be a period of a couple of weeks where there will be a state of flux. The reason I've decided not to put out any episodes is because I want to be able to iron out any issues as they come up and not add new episodes to those issues, if that makes sense. So there will be a period of time where you might hear advertisements in awkward places if you're listening to old episodes that's because I need to manually go back and put the advertisements all in the right place which is a bit a bit of a a bit of a ball ache but you know it'll get done it's just one of those laborious tasks so thank you for your patience and your understanding I will keep you updated on social media it might be quicker than two weeks hopefully it won't be longer than two weeks but I will obviously keep you updated on social media so let's get into our story. Now our story this week comes from the majority of it comes from a book called The Ghosts of Chislehurst Caves by James Wilkinson and I found that book on Amazon on Kindle. It was on Kindle Unlimited for for free and I downloaded it and it is a brilliant anthology of ghost stories from Chislehurst Caves. So that's The Ghost of Chislehurst Caves by James Wilkinson. Could not recommend that book anymore and I have not included all of the stories in this episode because I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't want to include every single story that James had found. And uh just to say you'll understand why I'm saying this at the end, but I have contacted James to try and get him on the podcast. But without further ado, let's get into the episode. In the 1960s, the owners of Chislehurst Caves offered a £5 reward to anyone who could withstand a night in the caves. The caves had a dark reputation, and although young people would go to literal underground gigs there and party into the wee hours of the morning, no one really wanted to spend the night there alone, and with good reason. The caves were said to be terribly haunted. Nestled in the south of London, the caves were carved out over hundreds of years and were dug specifically for chalk that was used in lime burning and brick making for the building of London. It was also used to mine flint, which was used to fire tinderboxes and flintlock guns. It actually first opened to the public as a place of interest in 1900. Guides told the Victorians stories of the Romans, Druids, Saxons, smugglers and, of course, murder. Because we all know the Victorian love for the macabre. From 1914 to 1918, it was munitions storage. 
In the 1920s and 1930s, the caves were used for mushroom growing. And in the 1940s, it was the largest deep air raid shelter outside of London and protected over 15,000 people from the Blitz. The cave system became like an underground town and had a church, a hospital, shops and even a cinema. In the 1950s, 60s and 70s, it was a venue for concerts and dances. And to give you an idea of how popular Chislehurst was as a venue, Jimi Hendrix played a gig there and David Bowie twice. There are two areas of the cave that immediately piqued my interest. The church, of course, but also the haunted pool. Yes, that's its name. According to the stories that are told about Chislehurst Caves, the haunted pool and the church are the only areas of the caves where there is no echo. Many have argued that there seems to be no acoustical reason as to why that would be. Your voices should bounce around like everywhere else in the system. But no, the haunted pool and the church remain stubbornly muted. The haunted pool was once much deeper than it is now, and it was so deep that it was considered a serious risk to life, and was filled in. But there is a legend surrounding the haunted pool, and of course how it got its name. The story goes that a woman was drowned in the pool, murdered by her jealous husband, and her bones were found in the 1940s. For years, people have reported seeing a misty white figure of a woman floating through the labyrinth of the cave system. And there was even a report of a tour group watching in awe as a mist began rising off the haunted pool and took the form of a woman floating above the pool. Their awe turned to horror when this translucent mist seemed to swoop towards them and then disappeared into nothing leaving the group standing in shock in the echoing silence of the caves. As the cave has been open to the public for many years, numerous guides have worked its dark passageways. These guides have shared stories over the years of strange and unusual happenings, of shadows flitting through the walls, the sounds of footsteps and the sounds of children weeping or giggling. Dave was only 18 years old when he first started working at the caves. He was excited when he started, because he had grown up hearing his dad tell stories about skiffle gigs that took place when he was a teenager. Not only this, but Dave had fond memories of a school tour to the caves when he was in primary school. So it felt exciting to get the chance to work somewhere with so much history and legend attached to it. On Dave's first week, he was meant to shadow fellow guides to learn the ropes and the stories and fundamentally learn his way around the caves. Little did he know that after a colleague was unable to attend work, he would be thrown into the deep end guiding tours on day three in the workplace. He feigned enough confidence that it all went off fine. He even managed to bluff his way through a tour taking two and a half hours. It should have taken one and he quietly got lost. He had obviously heard stories about the caves but did not have a personal experience until he was bringing a tour group of primary school children around. There were maybe 10 or 11 children and their teacher. It was a midweek afternoon tour. As they approached the Roman well, Dave stopped the group to give the students some information and watched as a small child broke off from the back of the group and sprinted down another passageway. 
Admittedly, Day was annoyed. He had repeatedly told the children that the caves were incredibly dangerous to wander around unsupervised. And he had repeatedly told their teacher the same thing. He approached her and asked that she please keep a better eye on the children and informed her that a child had run down a passageway and to please wait there while he went to retrieve them. So Dave went to the passageway where the child had run to and it was a dead end. Solid rock with nowhere to hide. But he had definitely seen a child. He had seen them as clear as day break away from the group and run down the passageway. Dave is not the only member of the guiding teams to have had a run-in with the spirit of a small child. Several people have reported seeing this child running through the caves, but people have also reported hearing the sounds of a child weeping from the dark passages of the caves when no one else is present, or they hear the sound of a child giggling as though they are hiding just out of sight. There is a legend attached to the caves that in 1939, a little girl was crushed when she was playing in the caves and part of the cave wall collapsed. Figures disappearing down dead-end passageways is something that is seen by both guides and visitors. People have reported feeling the unmistakable feeling of someone or something breathing down their neck and have turned to find no one there. Some people report being physically touched by unseen entities. Lights seem to blow out at an unnatural rate and not just the electricity that has been put into the cave system but torches and lanterns too. Footsteps are regularly reported by the guides in particular who spend much more time in the cave systems alone. A guide reported that he was doing the dark walk one day when he experienced something bizarre. The dark walk is almost like an initiation that is undertaken by guides to see if they can find their way around the cave system in the dark. A necessary precaution if you were leading a tour group and the lighting system failed. As he walked down the passage known as Cavalier Passage, he began to hear footsteps. Initially, he believed it was just an echo of his own footsteps, but he reached an area of the cave where the staff kept a large oil drum. They used the drum to show how powerful the echo was in the cave system. He sat down on the drum and listened as the footsteps continued. They paced frantically around the cavern and then just petered out. There is, of course, a reason why the Cavalier's Passage is called the Cavalier's Passage. It is said to be haunted by the ghost of a Cavalier soldier. A white mist has been seen, appearing out of nowhere and disappearing again. Not only this, but the figure of a man was seen by another tour guide. The man was standing with his arms folded in the Cavalier's Passage, watching a tour group leave. Derek Hopkins was the cave manager until his death in 1987 and one winter's evening he was working in the Cavalier's Passage and heard a strange noise coming from deep in the cave. When he went to investigate, he saw a man standing in the tunnel wearing a Cavalier soldier's outfit. He left the caves immediately. Interestingly, this is not the only tale from the caves that involves Derek Hopkins. 
when he was alive, he reportedly refused to wash his teacup. He said that the extra layer of tannin around the edges of the mug made the tea taste nicer and it became a running joke among the guides. I'm sure there are lots of people that would share the same sentiment. But after Derek passed away, guides in the caves found his mug placed in the middle of different tunnels on four separate occasions. During more modern war times, the tunnels became an underground town and it was reported that people were genuinely reluctant to leave once the Blitz was over. In the evenings, buses would take people from the city of London out to the caves for the night to shelter from falling bombs. The tunnels were set up with everything that could be needed to accommodate these people, including a hospital. A tour guide reported that he was doing a tour around the caves and had gotten as far as the cave hospital. He was walking backwards, explaining the history of the hospital to the tour, and when he turned towards the hospital, he saw someone passing the isolation unit. This man was so clear that some people in the tour pointed him out and said, oh look, there's another person there already. The man was standing at the isolation unit. He was middle-aged and balding. He was wearing a donkey jacket and a striped jumper and he was wearing dark, heavy trousers, like jeans maybe. He looked as if he had just come off a building site. The guide walked towards him with the intention of asking him to join their group, assuming that he was from another tour and had perhaps gotten turned around in the caves or lingered too long at the hospital stop. As he walked towards the man, the guide took his eyes off him for a second, and there were audible gasps from the other tour goers. The man had disappeared into thin air. The guide and the tour goers were shook, and when the guide got back to the surface, he told an older member of staff that he thought he might have seen a ghost. He said it casually, with no details, trying not to show that he was deeply frightened by what he had seen. The older member of staff asked him whether he had seen the man in the hospital and then proceeded to tell the following story. I was called out one night because the police had received a call regarding strange noises at the caves and found the old entrance to the caves had been broken into. It was in the night and I called a party of other guides to the caves to help me search for the intruders. We had a good look around the caves but didn't find anything. But, about two weeks later, the decomposing body of a man was found by a little wooden hut. He had no matches, no torch, and I guess he had died of fright because he looked that way when they found him. He was stiff as a plank. The older member of staff went on to describe the clothes that the deceased man was found wearing. A donkey jacket, a striped jumper, and a pair of dark trousers, maybe jeans. And the legends and stories of Chislehurst Caves do not end there. Allegedly, a priest descended into the caves, determined to do penance down there, naked and alone. When he was eventually found, his fingers had worn away practically to the bone where he had tried to dig himself out. 
The spectre of a man, bedraggled and cowering, has been seen in the caves. He is seen crouched down, with his hands raised up as if to protect himself, his hair long and lank. He is usually only seen for a second, and then he disappears. And then there are the voices, whispering voices sometimes, voices of women and children that have been heard by several tour guides and tour goers. Voices of children reciting something and what sounds like a woman correcting them. Voices that have gone on for over an hour with no one able to locate the source. And then, more worryingly, there is a cold, hollow laughter. A laughter that does not echo in the caves. It has been described as genderless and is accompanied by a feeling of abject terror. Mostly, people will feel the feeling of terror before they hear the laughter. They will feel the atmosphere of the caves change, and the air feels electric. It was described as the type of feeling that makes you want to pull your coat up to your chin and put your back against the wall. And this dread and laughter is accompanied by a foul smell a smell that is described as being like sulphur or rotting meat. Interestingly, during the wartime, a group of Romani travellers were offered shelter in the caves and ended up using the oldest part of the cave, the Roman section. They named it Pug End, and that name has stuck. But the word Pug in Romani means small demon. At the time, the Romani were isolated from the other people taking shelter in the caves, so it is not known why they christened the Roman section Pug End. Or what they saw down there that earned it that moniker. The stories of the caves aren't confined to human spirits either. There have been reports over the years of a sleek, black panther type creature that slinks through the shadows of the caves. Some people have described it looking like a large black dog but either way ever so often it makes its presence known. There is one more story that I was unsure whether I should tell about these caves. I mostly dislike the narrative around possession and possession cases But this story seems to be the most compelling story that I have heard for a while, and a story that does not jump to demons as the only explanation. Like I said at the beginning of this story, back in the 60s, there was a challenge. Anyone who could stay overnight in the caves would earn £5. There was a strict set of rules that involved no alcohol, and eventually the owner of the caves put a stop to it. She was rightly concerned over the safety of the people who took part, and concerned over damage to the caves. But the final challenge actually took place in 1985. After years of hearing the stories and working in the caves, Dave, who we heard from earlier, and his co-worker Chris, managed to convince the cave owner to let them do the challenge just one more time. Dave had been working in the caves for over 10 years at this point, And I'd imagine that they were intrigued to see if they could do it. 
and they agreed that any winning money would go straight to charity and they would even try and raise money for their plight. Chris and Dave knew the caves like the back of their hand and the owner reluctantly agreed. And if what Dave says happened is true, then I would never have set foot in those caves again. What I'm about to tell you in this section comes directly from Dave's account in Wilkinson's book. I have not attempted to exaggerate or dramatise it in any way. At this point in the story, Dave and Chris have been locked into the caves and were settling down for the night. I remember Chris telling me his legs were very cold. He said he was feeling cold from the waist down, so there was more reason for him to take the first shift of sleeping. Chris moved off to his sleeping bag, and I set up a camp bed that I had brought with me. About 15 minutes after we'd settled down, I remember I was just about to open one of the four cans of Carlsberg that I had taken with me when I heard a series of footsteps. I didn't take any notice, as I thought it might be Chris moving around. And then suddenly, a big scream came from the passageway. I was startled at first and didn't respond immediately. It took a few seconds for my brain to get working and realise what I had just heard. I got out of the bed and called out, but Chris didn't answer. I then ran around to where Chris was and he was flailing about. He looked as if he was fighting someone. At this point, it looked like it could have been an epileptic fit, but then he went quiet. Then he opened his eyes and looked straight at me. His face wasn't like Chris. His face was taut, and cracks appeared in the skin like a very old man's face. Chris's face was usually plump, but now he looked ravaged and completely emaciated. His eyes were the worst, completely red. They glowed like light bulbs. It was looking right at me, a really horrible looking face. Suddenly, he took a swing at me. He was out of the sleeping bag now, and he was frothing at the mouth, like a fountain of green, yellow, bubbling and flowing out of his mouth and all over him. He was starting to get aggressive. And I was now getting very scared indeed. I couldn't get out of the caves because he had the keys in his jeans pocket and he was now growling at me vile guttural noises like an animal he wasn't even trying to talk just growling it wasn't like an epileptic fit he was a different person and I was very scared every time I tried to coax him to give me the keys he would growl and swipe at me it was bloody evil it didn't look like him it looked like a like a very, very old and evil man. I decided to leave the keys and go to an emergency buzzer that we had set up. I was praying that it would be working. I ran to the buzzer's location. My mind was racing. I pressed the buzzer once and waited for a response. There was no answer. I pressed again as if the harder I pressed it, the more noise it would make. But there was still no reply. Come on, I thought, for God's sake. I pressed again. One long, good buzz, and Mrs. Rikki's voice answered. Dave hastily explained to Mrs. Rikki, the owner, what had happened, and Mrs. Rikki and another employee went down into the caves immediately. When they eventually returned to find Chris, he was crawling around on the floor like an animal. 
Mrs. Rikki and Abraham were petrified. Dave ran and called an ambulance and by the time the ambulance arrived, Chris was completely back to his old self again. But here's the thing. There is a tape recording of this whole episode. Dave and Chris had set up a tape recorder, as all good paranormal investigators do, and it was rolling when the event took place. Now, I can't find the recording online, but the owner of the cave, Mrs. Rikki, kept it and gave it to Wilkinson when he was writing his book. Dave described the recording in his recounting of the story. He said that when he listened back, he could hear something that sounded like an electric buggy coming up and going past the tape recorder. But what's even more interesting is this electrical buggy sound came up multiple times in the witness stories. I initially dismissed it as something to do with the electricity cables in the cave, but maybe it still is. Dave said that when the electric buggy sound goes past the recorder, you can hear Chris screaming. But just before that, there is the sound of padding on the floor, like the footsteps of a large animal. The owner of the cave, Mrs. Rikki, when interviewed, confirmed Dave's story and also added that on the night in question, her husband and her mother had both woken up at the time of the events with an overwhelming sense that she was in danger. Chris remembers nothing of these events. So I'll come to the breakdown of that story in a few minutes, but that story gave me the heebie-jeebies. And I really felt like I need the story to be kind of word for word because otherwise people aren't going to believe me. So just to reiterate, the stories from today's episode, and I got some information from hauntedrooms.co.uk from the Chislehurst Caves website. But most importantly, it was a book called The Ghosts of Chislehurst Caves by James Wilkinson. And that's where that story, the final story of the last overnight challenge came from. So before we dissect that final part of the story... I want to go back to the very beginning. Right, firstly, what an amazing place for a music venue. How cool is that? Like a literal underground music venue. Now, that being said, I would have absolutely zero interest in going. Sorry, even if it is David Bowie. Even, you know, I'm I'm not going to an underground venue to see any. I don't like going to gigs generally, okay? That's, I'm just going to say it. I'm not a very social creature and I don't like big crowds. I feel like the only way I would be caught frequenting a cave is if I was dragged down there by one of those creatures from the descent. But I do think this cave system has just such an incredible story. And I just I just love that it was a music venue. Like how cool is that as a memory for kids growing up in the 50s, 60s, 70s to have gone to all these gigs in a literal cave system? And I mean, health and safety would have been out the window. I don't even think there was any health and safety back in those days. Do you know what I mean? It would have just been a free for all. You go into the caves and hopefully you don't drown in a pool or get crushed by rocks. If you go on to the Chislehurst Caves website, there are loads of pictures of the caves as a music venue and of the caves back during the wartime when they were used as a bomb shelter. And one thing I will say is that there is always talk of the druids around the caves. So you'll see some people talk about how it was used as a a druid worshipping site. But apparently there is no evidence that they would have used the cave system for anything. Now, you know, in in his book, Wilkinson very rightly says it probably would have been a perfect place for druids to be. You know, they would have probably 
being able to practice in secret and away from prying eyes because apparently after the Romans rocked up they were like we don't like how much power the druids have so you better fucking stop that so it seems like the perfect place for druids but there is no evidence that druids were there and I just I cannot even imagine what it was like during during the wartime like I said there's loads of great pictures on the website but all of these people like 15,000 people crammed in to this cave system in order to keep them safe it's just wild and also so organized to have like a hospital a church school rooms a cinema they used to have like bunk beds racked up along the walls of the cave just incredible really but also there must have been such an atmosphere of fear and worry and people not knowing whether or not their loved ones were going to make it home not knowing where you, whether you were going to survive the war all of that emotional turmoil just crammed under the same proverbial roof apparently also and i kind of loved this little fact in the book there was a baby born in the caves during wartime and her parents called her kavina which i thought actually was quite a cute name but then another witness in the book said that she had heard that there were five babies born in the caves during wartime but only one baby survived so listen there's lots of different stories about this place and I was particularly interested in multiple witnesses stating that they heard the sound of children reciting something or singing and hearing a woman correcting them and then the children starting again like people who often advocate for stone tape theory I mean this is the perfect case for that you are literally under the ground surrounded by rocks surrounded by the energy of the earth with all of these heightened emotions is it possible that the walls of these caves literally absorbed the feelings and the everyday activities of these people and it's being thrown back out every so often i mean listen i don't have my lab coat on right now so i'm not able to tell you how that works scientifically but that's my very basic and limited understanding of stone tape theory stone tape theory is actually really hard to say just so you know but besides all of that i would argue that these sounds are probably residual sounds the sounds of children reciting stories there was obviously school rooms in the caves people often report the sounds of whispering and people probably would be whispering at night time being like Shh, other people are trying to sleep so i wonder are we just hearing those echoes through time and i cannot express enough how many different witnesses there are to these different incidents so multiple people have heard these things. It's not just one person that's saying, oh, I heard all of this laughter. I heard these children reciting things. No, it's multiple different people who are reporting that they have heard these things in different parts of the cave sometimes. So let's talk about the validity of the stories behind the legends. So first of all, we have the story of the woman who was drowned in the pool by her husband, uh, murdered by her husband, there is no evidence that that story is actually true and the story has kind of grown legs a little bit where it's gotten to the point where it's like this man murdered his wife and he was later hanged for the murder but there doesn't seem to be any evidence that this actually happened that's not to say that the body of a woman or the skeleton of a woman wasn't found in the pool when they filled the pool in because i think they only filled they filled the haunted pool in in the 1940s after they had started using it as a bomb shelter because they were like oh this is a bit deep and there's lots of children running around here so i'm quite concerned that we're gonna lose somebody down into that black hole that water filled abyss so that's when they filled it in there also doesn't seem to be any evidence that a child was crushed while she was running around in the caves 
And the timeline seems to be that it would have been around the time that the caves were being used as a bomb shelter. But I do think it's possible that that might have happened and been put down to a horrible accident and maybe not have been reported on because there were lots of scary things happening in the world at that point in time. And maybe it was possible that her death was put down as being related to the Blitz rather than specifically dying in the cave because of a rock fall. Who knows? So while there's no evidence of those two stories happening in the way that they are now told, it is possible that there is some grain of truth in them somewhere. And I don't think because there's no historical evidence for those particular versions of the deaths of those people that that then dismisses the ghost stories. I I don't think it's as simple as that. The final story that I mentioned was the story of the priest, which is incredibly sad and honestly terrifying. You know, it really, I found it really upsetting that this man felt as though he needed to do penance down in the caves. So he went down stripped naked and sort of stayed there until he died, which is an awful way to atone for whatever sins that you've done. I mean, maybe he did something awful. I don't know. But it seems there is some truth in that story. So the owner that I spoke about um, in the story of The Last Challenge, Mrs. Riki, she is interviewed in the book and she says that she remembered her father coming home and saying that they had found a body in the caves. They had found this body. He was naked and it looked like his fingers were worn down where he had tried to claw his way out, I suppose. And I mean, fundamentally, from a human perspective, without any semblance of the paranormal involved. That is incredibly sad and heartbreaking to think that that person who was clearly mentally unwell, in not in a very good state of mind, went down into those caves and died alone, terrified. And what makes me incredibly sad about this story is the fact that every time this entity is seen, this entity that is meant to be this priest, every time he's seen... He seems to be cowering in fear. Oh, and just to also point out before we get into the last challenge, there are also a million and one reports of lights being seen in the caves, strange lights. There are other reports of people seeing entities, people like there's one report of a man literally turning around and coming nose to nose, face to face with a man and nearly shitting himself. There's another story of a man who was working in a corridor and a man literally walked out of the wall next to him. Like crazy stuff, crazy stuff. And all those stories, like I said, are in the book. So let's get to the last challenge, right? I don't even know where to start. I honestly don't know where to start. So would I do the challenge? You betcha. Because I'm competitive. And if somebody dared to say, I bet you wouldn't be able to do that. I'd be like, yeah, I would. I absolutely would be able to do that. And I'd do it for the night. Fine. Do I want to be down in a cave overnight that's supposed to be really haunted? No, I don't. But would I do it to prove a point? You betcha. So I totally understand why they wanted to do the challenge, right? (laughs) Totally get it. And these are two people who know the caves. They know them well. Like I said, I think at this point, Dave had been working in the cave for at least 10 years. So he knew it well, knew it like the back of his hand. They're also people who know the stories of the hauntings in the cave. And also Dave had experienced paranormal stuff in the cave already. So in a way, you could argue that they were completely primed to experience something. I think it's also important to note that Chris said he couldn't remember anything of the night, but he also said, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't know what happened. I can't remember anything. I must have had some sort of seizure, but I absolutely don't believe in ghosts. 
So he was not somebody who was going in there expecting to see something. And actually, he's, I mean, hindsight is a great thing. But he said that when he went to go to went to go to sleep that evening, he was feeling fine. Like he, he didn't have any worries. He wasn't lying there going, oh, my God, I'm really scared. He was just cold and tired and obviously went to sleep. And then in his mind, he had flashes of moments, but nothing significant. And then all of a sudden he was getting into an ambulance is it possible that the fear that seeing Chris have this fit, is it possible that that fear caused Dave to sort of reimagine events? Because I don't think he's lying. I don't think he's lying. I don't think the owner of the case of the time, Mrs. Ricky, like, I don't think she's lying. They have nothing to gain from lying about this story. So they experienced something. But was it that they witnessed somebody having an extreme medical episode and their brain processed it as almost a paranormal thing. What's interesting is that Dave never says, I think he was possessed by a demon. He never says that. He just says, I don't know what happened, but it wasn't my friend's face anymore. It was the face of this horrible, evil old man and his eyes went red. That's the thing that I'm really interested in, is his eyes going red, shining red like light bulbs. And I wondered, again, if that was something medical and something natural that we're combining to create the illusion of having bright red eyes. So presumably this was by torchlight. And is it possible that Chris was having some sort of seizure and his pupils had dilated massively and that dilation was reflecting the light and the lights or the eyes looked like they were glowing red? And I just want to point out now, um, every time I talk about possession or anything remotely related to possession, I get a flurry of messages from people who say you know encephalitis is a disease that causes people to have seizures and their behavior changes etc etc um and i am i am aware of encephalitis bizarrely even though it's incredibly rare and i don't know how this has happened i um have had two people in my life who have developed encephalitis um and it is staggering what the disease does to people it it causes seizures and complete changes in mood and aggression and violence and all sorts of wild stuff where I can totally understand how back in the day people confused encephalitis with possession because people with encephalitis will often behave in a way that is completely far removed from any sort of quote-unquote like normal human behaviour. It's honestly one of the most terrifying things I have ever seen but it is also an illness that prevails so it doesn't seem like Chris had any effects after the incident it doesn't seem like he had this seizure and then was diagnosed with something I mean it is possible completely possible for people to have a single seizure in their lifetime and never have one again that can happen for a variety of reasons And obviously, if you've seen somebody who has had a seizure, you will know that it does make people's faces contort sometimes in what can be quite terrifying ways, but not necessarily in a way that's going to make you look at your friend and say your normally plump face is now emaciated and ravaged. The larger part of me is saying that it sounds like some sort of genuinely extreme medical episode some sort of seizure and in the darkness and the context of the surroundings it seemed to be paranormal um that's not me dismissing dave's story because you'd be terrified either way 
But I do wonder how much of that is me just hoping against all hope that that is what happened because the alternative is just too scary. And on the topic of the tape, right, when I was reading this book and I got to the point where they were like, there's a tape of the whole thing, I nearly flung my phone away. I was reading it on Kindle, right? And I was like, oh my God, where is this tape? Apparently the author managed to get the tape from the owner, right? And he got the tape, was really excited, was in the car with a colleague or a friend. And he was like, we're going to put this tape in while we're driving to wherever and we're going to listen to it. And there was, there seemed to be nothing on the tape and he had turned it right up. And he was like, oh, how disappointing. There's nothing there. And then had forgotten about it. And the journey continued on and they were having conversations. And next minute, there was this full volume guttural scream which is obviously Chris's scream and the the guy who wrote the book James Wilkinson was saying he nearly crashed the car because he got such a fright but the tape exists and the tape was played on a radio station the morning after the two guys did the last challenge they had organized for a reporter to come in and have a chat with them for some like promo for the caves and they were trying to fundraise obviously for spending the night in the cave for charity and a reporter came in and a reporter heard the heard the tape and it ended up on a local radio in an interview right so I've contacted the author of the book just to say hey I read your book I used it for this episode of the podcast can you can you get in contact with me I'd love to speak to you because I really want to pick his brain about these stories and I I want to hear that damn tape. I want to hear it. I want to hear what happened, okay? It was a very old email address, just to be clear, so it may not happen. He may not get back to me, but maybe he will. And if he does, and there's going to be a, an interview episode, I'll be sure to let you guys know. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I would love to hear your thoughts on this one. Let me know on social media what you think happened in the Chislehurst Caves. They are somewhere that I'm definitely going to visit because they are only an hour away from me. If you would like to send in your own spooky story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can sign up to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad-free. And just another reminder that there will be no main or mini episodes for a couple of weeks while I get the whole host provider sorted and advertising sorted. Thank you for your patience and I will see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.